Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. And I've got an illustration I'm going to bring over here in just a moment if I can get it up and uh, get that ready to go. So you can go to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll do that here in just a moment. So I'm going to put these up here. This is an illustration you'll hear about in a minute. Okay, so Ephesians chapter number 5. Well, we're going to go a little different direction. We'll keep the Strongholds uh, series for tonight. I do appreciate your prayers. This has been a journey for me, and it certainly has encouraged my heart in the journey. And we've got a couple more things we want to deal with tonight and tomorrow night. And I, again, would appreciate your prayers that God will allow it to come out clearly. And again, uh, just so you understand this, I think many of you do, but uh, in a situation like this, it is a battle. In other words, how do we put it? Satan does not want people to be free. So you pray that the message will come out clearly because it... Um, certainly is that which uh, is a spiritual nature to the uh, series of meetings. And I, I know myself, what I'm saying is I need your prayers as well, that uh, Lord give us a complete uh, breakthrough in uh, these days together. Well, what I'd like us to do uh, here this morning is go to Ephesians chapter number 5, and we're going to be looking uh, at a very familiar passage of Scripture. I think if I announce the text tonight as Ephesians 5.18, there's not a person in this room who would not say, oh, I can quote that. And be not drunk with wine, we're in a success, but be... It's not only a text that you probably have heard before, it is a text that many of you have experienced to some degree. I think some of you have begun to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that it is obviously embracing your absolute weakness and living in a dependence upon the Spirit of God to do in and through you what you could never do unless, of course, He enabled you to do it. I don't think preaching that, message, that text, though I may touch on it here in just a moment, uh, would necessarily be new things for many of you. For many of you, maybe not the freshmen, but for many of you, uh, you would say, yeah, that's great. That's a great reminder, great text, and you'd be encouraged. But here's something I want us to see. I want us to look at the first three verses, 15, 16, and 17. Because I believe in 15, 16, and 17, what you find here is God is simply saying this. In order for you to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, you must be in a position where the teacher can teach you. Now, the teacher happens to be the Holy Spirit. He's the one that writes the Bible, or has written the Bible, and he's the one that illuminates it. You say, preacher, what's that? He's the one that turns on the lights. And uh, illumines, makes us understand the truth. And uh, sometimes you might be here, and perhaps you've been here for years, and you've thought to yourself, man, I hear a lot about the filling of the Spirit, but I, I still don't know exactly what they're talking about because I haven't experienced very much of that. Well, let me just simply say that what needs to occur in your life is not just intellectual, it is spiritual. You need the teacher to teach you. I could get up here and preach the greatest message, not that I could do it, but I'm just simply saying if I could do it, which would be a big if, but I could preach the greatest message on being filled with the Spirit, and you know what? It would not help you unless the Spirit of God turned the lights on. In other words, you could have other preachers come through, preach the clearest messages you could ever hear on being filled with the Spirit. My point is, no matter what we did, how clear it was, if the Spirit of God does not turn the lights on, guess what? you're not going to understand it. Have you ever been out soul winning and you go through the plan and you're thinking, whoa, it came out good today, man. <laughs> great illustrations, great logic. Whoa, I thought of things. It came out as clear as a bell and, the, and then the, the sinner doesn't get it. You know what the problem was? You were depending on the presentation. You're depending on your illustrations, your logic. And I'm not saying those things are not important, but the dependence needs to be on the light turner on her. <laughs> the dependence needs to be on his word. And uh, many times I think in a soul winning situation, sometimes I've had to say, you know, Lord, I'm just going to use your word right now and trust you to use it. Because I've used my logic, my illustrations and everything. And we're just going to go back and trust the word of God to do it. 
So the Spirit of God is the one who has got to illumine your hearts. He's got to turn the lights on. And I'm just simply saying, if you don't understand things about the Spirit of God and about the Christian life, please understand, it's not necessarily because they were not presented. The problem is the light turner on or didn't turn them on. Now you say, preacher, why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he do that? Well, the reason he wouldn't do that is because he's grieved. Or maybe he's quenched. <laughs> so the first few verses here before verse 18 are really telling us, hey, you've got to deal with this. Because some of you are grieving the illuminator. And that's why you're not understanding spiritual truth. You know what I've noticed? I, I can honestly say that I've seen, thank the Lord it's minimal, but I've seen young people go all the way through their senior year. And really have very little spiritual impact, very little spiritual power in their life. And you can look at another kid who came in, a really needy freshman, but by the time he's a senior, I mean, he just is walking with God. I mean, he just oozes God working in his life. And there's a humility that comes with that. That's not absence of pride. It's when God's working, it's a, it's a humility, an absolute, man, this is God. I can't believe it. But here they are, sort of the same messages, same atmosphere, same classes, same classmates, same experiences, same everything. And yet one is just unbelievably ready, and the other one is like, come. You're thinking, do they know God yet? And the difference, young person, is not in your environment. The difference is inside of you. The difference is the teacher. Was he able to teach you? Were you listening? Was he able to illuminate? Was he able to turn the lights on? Was he able to make those things clear? In some cases, the answer would be no. Why? Because he was grieved. He was quenched. I certainly saw that in my dad's ministry. Uh, my dad, uh, um, you know, was 27 years there at Market Manor Baptist Church. I was with him in the first part of the ministry. The church grew to over 1,000 people, people being saved, people being discipled. It was just a remarkable move of God, a certain of those years particularly. And um, I cannot go six months. I've said this before, but I cannot go six months with people not saying positive things about my dad or my mother. That just happened a few weeks ago. I had uh, a lady say, hey, man, I saw your dad in the fights there in Denver, Colorado, and fighting conservative Baptists and taking a stand, standing up and saying what needed to be said. And you could tell she was full of admiration. My dad was just a young man at the time. And the point I'm simply making, friends, is that um, um, I, I saw my dad's ministry, God touch a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people. But in the same pews where people's lives were being transformed, some people weren't transformed at all. There's a man who sat at Market Manor Baptist Church for years, spent a significant time in jail for molesting his adopted children. He went to every service everybody else did. He was in the services where God came down. He was in the services where people's life were being transformed. But my friend, there was a secret sin in his life. And there was no illumination. He didn't get it. See, just because you sit here in the student body doesn't necessarily mean the lights are going to come on. That your life's going to be transformed. Now, I, I understand that if you want it to be, it will be. But the Spirit of God is going to say there's some things that need to happen to create an atmosphere in which I am free to talk to you. So the first three verses of the book of Ephesians 15, 16, 17, right before 18, I believe God is saying, okay, here's what I want you to understand needs to be done so that you begin to inculcate an atmosphere in which I am not grieved in which I can speak to you, and which I will deal with you, because there's freedom there. So let's just look at a few commands before verse 18, and then I'll explain why these books are sitting up here. Um, but look what it says here in verse 15. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, 
but is wise. Now I see three nuances around the same truth. The very first one is obviously a sensitivity to sin. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now a circumspect walk, some of us in this culture, we're not too much into this. It's literally observing the ground so you don't step on what you don't want to step in. Now if you go to foreign countries, sometimes you walk circumspectly. You know what I'm talking about? Especially third world countries, you, you, you just look around. Because there's stuff on the ground that you really don't want to step in. Uh, for us, pretty much in America, it's just dog stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, have you ever stepped in it and thinking, man, what stinks? What stinks? And you remember you know, all the old gym shoes? You look at your gym shoe and, oh, great. Sit down with a stick and carve it out. You know how it is back when I was a kid thinking, that's terrible. Okay. Why did it happen? Because I wasn't walking circumspectly. I remember several years ago, I was at a camp in Colorado, uh, the wilds of the Rockies, and that's uh, not there anymore, but I was there, and the camp director came to me and said, Brother Van Gelderen, at 7 o'clock on Friday, we have a cowboy cookout. And uh, all the sponsors come, and if you'd like to come, we'd like you to come. Well, I got a personal policy. I do not like to make camp directors feel bad, so I went. But anyway, and so at 7 o'clock, I show up, and it was a little Aspen group of Aspens. All of you Colorado people can eat your heart out. Okay, but anyway, Aspens, and there was a little cookout grill there, and blueberry pancakes. You know what I'm talking, not the imitation, the real blueberries, juice going into the pancake, pancake batter, unbelievable. Eggs, coffee out over the fire. I mean, just unbelievable. Out there, just the beautiful Rocky Mountains as your scenery. But in order to get there, you had to walk through the stables. And when you walk through the stables, I'm a city kid, but I knew what I was going to have to do. Walk circumspectly. So I'm walking through the stables and saying, well, I better not step over there. That looks like it was this morning. And uh, it's like this. Let me help you city kids out. If there are flies on it, you don't want to step in it, okay? It's fresh, okay? Now, Ditches out here can help you with this because he knows what I'm talking about, okay? He gets this down, okay? So I'm walking through it. Oh, that's a few weeks old, but I'm still going to avoid it. And I'm walking circumspectly. I don't want to step in any of that stuff. Now, the point is simply this. A circumspect walk is this. A sensitivity to sin. Lord, I don't, I don't want to defile myself. I really don't want to do what I shouldn't do. And if we do, you know, like we talked about last night, you immediately look to Jesus to cleanse you, restore you. Get it right. If you have to get right with somebody, whatever the Bible instructions are, uh, you're going to get it right. If you need to talk to your parents, you will. If you need to talk to whoever, you will. If you need to apologize, you will. And immediately uh, take 1 John 1, 9 and move on. Uh, that's the idea. A sensitivity to sin. Uh, you've heard stories about it. I've heard the story many times of C.H. Spurgeon who literally was walking across the street, stopped for a moment in the middle of the street, you know, where cars are going both sides, put his, took his hat off, put it over his, bowed his head just for a few seconds, and then went to the other side. Somebody asked him later, what were you doing? He said, at that moment, I realized there was something between my soul and the Savior, and I just didn't want to wait. I just knew I needed to get it right right then. Well, maybe that's, we might say a little dangerous, but the point is you get the idea. It was a sensitivity to sin. Do you have any kind of sensitivity? That immediately when you sense, no, I should, that was a word I shouldn't have said. God, I was wrong. That's the idea. A sensitivity to sin. Now, notice the next phrase says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, the word redeem is a very interesting word. Uh, excuse me, the word time is a very interesting word, redeeming the time. The word time, there's two words as I understand it. One is the word chronos. I think you understand what chronos is. Chronos, we get the word chronology from. And I guess we can look at the clock and say that and call the time. Uh, that's the word I understand you use is chronos. But this is not the word here. It's not redeeming ticks off the clock. It's the idea of opportunity. Redeeming the time. Now, you know, friends, that God will send you and I opportunities. And God says, grab them, buy them back, don't miss them. 
Do you ever been at the grocery store and the Spirit of God says, you need to talk to that person, or out in just the public arena and the Spirit of God gives you a burden perhaps to talk to somebody? I don't know about you, there's times I've passed those up, and you know what? I will never get them back. But there's other times I have talked to them, and many times you may not always understand it, but sometimes you very clearly say, well, that was a divine appointment. You know what you're doing? Grabbing the opportunity. And I'm not talking about an oversensitivity. Uh, sometimes I found if the devil can't stop you, he'll push you. And for some people, I've, I've had talked to people who got so uptight about it, they thought, I've got to talk to everybody. I've got to talk to everybody. No, be willing to talk to anybody and the Spirit will lead you. God is light and in Him is. So when there's no darkness, do it. If there's darkness, don't. <laughs> if you're willing to, he won't, He's not going to do this to you, if you're willing. It's, in other words, when God leads, there's freedom. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord there is, he means it. See, when God's leading you, there's a liberty, there's life, like, well, this is good. And uh, it's, um, it's clear. It's just clear. There's no darkness. I need to talk to that person. And so the point is, those opportunities come, God says, grab them, grab them. They're right there. Good. That's an opportunity. God gives you other opportunities. He's going to give you opportunities to grow spiritually, give you opportunities to spend an hour with God. He's going to give you an opportunity uh, ministry. And God's simply saying, whatever opportunities I bring away, grab them. And sometimes opportunities come when you're not looking for them. I'll never forget the morning a few years ago. I was in Decatur, Alabama. We were leaving a small Christian school. And I noticed there was a guy out who was taking leaves off the parking lot. And I came out to my truck and the, my kind of got a Saturday routine. I'll go get, uh, usually that's the day I go out and buy a cup of coffee. I, I take one of my daughters with me usually. And, and um, uh, so I'd come back and then we get ready to hook up the truck. And so I'm checking the route. You know, I used to check the Rand McNally. Uh, you guys have no idea where Rand McNally is. But anyway, I checked the Rand McNally in the older days. Now I check my maps, you know, and get everything set and maybe start to hook up the trailer. And that's what was happening. And I was kind of, you know, it's my veg day, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, this is just the day I just can relax, get ready for the next week. And that guy blowing the, the thing came up to me, and when he came up to me, it irritated me. It's kind of like, I didn't say it. It's kind of like, hey, bud, this is my day off. Okay, I really can't be in ministry right now. That's, you know, I didn't say it, but sometimes you, you, you feel it. And it didn't take me three seconds to realize, wake up, bud, this is an absolute divine opportunity. And I'm telling, talking to talk to this guy, and he says, you know, my daughter came last night, and she came back really deeply moved. And I started talking to him about his daughter, and I came to a really simple conclusion. This guy is spiritually in need, and his daughter's awakening has awakened him. So I began to work with him. I can't even remember all we talked about, and I, I think he wasn't sure he was saved. I can't remember all the details, but I, I said, what church do you go to? And he said, I go to the church down here, some of the Baptist church, and and so I said, well, are you going to go Sunday? He said, I'm going to go Sunday. I said, let me encourage you to do this. I just felt like the Lord do this. I said, when church is over, go up to your pastor and tell him what God's doing in your heart. Well, later I saw his pastor somewhere else, totally third place. And I said, I told him about the situation. I said, yeah, he said, I want you to know he came up to me after the service and we were able to lead him to Jesus. He got saved. Now, that was a divine moment. And I almost missed it because it was Saturday. You guys ever get into that mode? You know what I'm talking about? The me mode? Well, I'm, I, I was kind of excited about it. I mean, now I'm kind of changing out of the Saturday mode. I'm kind of into the ministry mode again. And I'm driving down the, phone, uh, down the road, and the phone rings. And um, I, I start talking to this lady, and I begin to realize, oh, she was at my dad's church years ago. She and her husband, I remember them. They were rough people. They got saved miraculously. Their lives changed. They had a son who struggled. 
And I'd worked with him some. Back then, I don't know that I had a whole lot of things to help him, but I'd worked with him some. And she said, I just wanted you to know, Brother Van Gilman, since you worked with my son, that he struggled all his life long and he committed suicide. Now, obviously, he's gone. I, I wish we could have helped him, but I realized mom needs help. And I spent some time trying to encourage her and comfort her and try to tell her, hey, listen, this is bad, but God can work it together for good. We've got to start looking for the God, what God's going to do now. Put it up, phone calls, get another call. Two-hour phone conversation with counseling while I'm driving down the road. Now, here's my point, friends. None of those things I would have chosen from the human perspective. You with me on this? Again, I hate to say I was in my Saturday mode, but I was in my Saturday mode. But the Lord said, no, I've got some, I want you to be in a ministry mode here on Saturday, which we should be anyway. And the point is there were opportunities. And I don't know if I'd have grabbed the first one. I don't think the second or third one I'd have gone so well. The Lord had to kind of whap me over the head saying, listen, grab a hold of these opportunities. You're going to have opportunities. You know what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to have a fellow student say something to you and the Holy Spirit's going to say, that was just a little bit of a teaser to tell you that they need help. And you'll be at a choice to ignore it or to start to dive in to be out. Now, all of you that are older know what I'm talking about. You all know what I'm talking about. You see, that's what it means to redeem the time. You take opportunities to grow yourself and opportunities to be a blessing, a channel of the Spirit of God. And you know what ministry is? It's 24-7. Now, as an evangelist, it's kind of nice because you kind of have hours. But I remember my dad, he didn't have hours. <laughs> I'd hear 3 o'clock in the morning, the garage door going up. Uh, and then later in the day, I'd say, hey, Dad, what happened in the middle of the night? He said, well, I got a call, went to the hospital. <laughs> I'm thinking, whoa, I'm glad I'm called to be an evangelist. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about. Pastor can tell you about all that kind of stuff. You never see it, never know about it. I'm sure the van kids can tell you about the garage door going up in the middle of the night multiple times. That's just what happens when you're a pastor. The point is sometimes an evangelist I can get into the clock mentality. Because you know what? It's 24-7. And so God's saying redeem the time. Take opportunities to serve others. Take opportunities to grow. Do you know you will never have an opportunity to grow like if you don't take the opportunities this year? God's going to bring many opportunities in your life to grow spiritually. Might be the hour with God. Some of you have never spent an hour with God. You think an hour with God. Uh, you know, it's like you, you, don't swing, you don't sing sweet hour of God. You sing sweet five minutes of prayer. You know, okay, that's your deal. But that can change. And so the point is, as God begins to work, you grab these opportunities. Say, I, I don't want them to go. See, that's what, this is what this is doing. It's, it's conculcating a sensitivity to the teacher. That's how you learn. You create the atmosphere in which you learn how to be filled with the Spirit. You begin to understand it in a fuller fashion is when you stop grieving the teacher. There's a sensitivity to sin. You deal, when, even when you fail, you deal with it like we talked about last night. And like we said, don't let discouragement or unbelief come in because that's a big deal. And the other idea is grabbing opportunities. And it's like, I appreciate Judson's testimony. I think we all can relate with Judson's testimony. Our apps might be different or our time wasters might be different, but we all have time wasters. And that brings us to the next point because it kind of gets a little bit further. Let's look at that. It says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. In other words, God is saying the word unwiser is different than the other word wise. This has the idea of do not act rashly. Wherefore, be not one who acts in a very rash way. Now, that simply means acting before you think. How many would admit, and I am going to ask you to raise your hand, that all of a sudden you catch yourself goofing around with your phone and you're thinking, how did that even start? Raise your hand. 
It almost is like, I'm going to be honest with you, one thing God's been teaching me, teaching to do is, man, stop using your phone as a stupid default. And we all have a tendency to do that. Act rashly. In other words, we're not thinking, we're not being purposeful, we're just kind of being addictive. We just do it. Oh, I got a minute. Boom. And then five minutes later, what am I doing? <laughs> that was dumb. I didn't get anything out of that five minutes. That's the idea. God says, what you're doing when you're doing that, you're no longer listening to the Holy Spirit. You're just doing your default. You're just wasting time. You're just acting rashly. You're being unwise. Now, all of us in life, I'm sure you have done it as well, all of us in life have done things that we later thought, I shouldn't have done that. Now, hopefully most of them were in junior high. Yes, remember junior high. It's like your dad says, what were you thinking? Thinking? I've never heard of that. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? That usually happens. Junior hires are notorious for that. But there's an excuse for a junior hire because their brain turns to mush about sixth grade. Then it reforms. This is new science that's just out. It reforms about ninth grade. It comes back to normalcy. Well, kind of. Uh, but anyway. But... Um, I had my junior, I, I remember when I was sixth grade, I can remember like it happened yesterday, my dad coming to me very serious. He said, oh, Jim, you're in the sixth grade. It's going to be tough. We're going to work with you on this. It's going to be tough. We'll get you through the junior high years. I'm thinking, Dad, what are you talking about? <laughs> now I know what you're talking about. Like, oh, yes, Dad. Oh, yes. Okay. Ah, but my moment, my moment of fame, I've told the story here before, but it just fits. I got to tell it again. My moment of fame was in the sixth grade. It was my moment of acting rationally. We'd spent the entire morning. We had a teacher that was the teacher. I'm telling you, English. I learned, let me say this. I did not learn any more English than I learned in sixth grade till I was in college. She was an unbelievable teacher, English particularly, just phenomenal. And I remember we spent one morning and we had three chalkboards. I know you don't know what a chalkboard is, but some of the old guys back there can help you out with that. But there were three chalkboards around the room. And we'd spent the entire morning filling them with synonyms and antonyms and whatever nims. I mean, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was an English, it was something that it absolutely would send an English teacher to the moon. I mean, just in satisfaction with fulfillment. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, you know how it is, about mid-morning time for recess. Now, for us in recess, that was the best part of the day. And when recess, gang, we always ran out there to see who could be the first one out there and we played on cement. I mean, this is Chicago. I had no idea. I thought everybody had recess on cement. But anyway, uh, they put a couple of horses up, blocked the, sh the, uh, the, um, uh, the street off, and we'd play tackle football. No, not really, but they say it was touch, but uh, you, know, you know how that goes. Uh, but anyway, and we just couldn't wait for that. You know? And then when recess was over, this sounds kind of dumb, but this is total junior high. We'd run back. We couldn't wait to get out, and now we run back. And you wanted to be the first one back to the classroom. Don't ask me why. That was just what we did. And I was the first one back. I'll never forget it. You say, why did you, I picked up a racer. You say, why did you do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm in junior high. I'm sixth grade. You know what I'm talking about? I pick up a racer and I start doing this to the chalkboards. Every chalkboard. Just totally destroyed them. Now, I had a sixth grade, I mean, she, it was her first year teaching. You know, come to think of it, it might have been her last year. But anyway, first year teaching. I don't remember ever getting upset. She was livid, livid. I mean, she turned colors. I never thought she, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, she was, she was angry. She sent me to the worst possible thing. You say, your dad's office? No, my dad's office, as bad as that would have been, it would not have been as bad as this. 
You say, what did she do? She sent me to the principal. You say, uh, who was your principal? Well, actually, it was a lady. You say, a lady? Listen, I will tell you, I'd rather face my dad any day than that lady. <laughs> I, I, I knew her for years. I never saw her smile once. I'm convinced she worked for the Gestapo interrogation unit in World War II. I'm convinced. <laughs> I think she wore army boots. Okay, I'm telling you. My, you think I'm exaggerating. You ask Pastor Ben Gellerin afterward. This lady put fear in her hearts. When you got in her office, she'd close the door and she'd look at you. She wouldn't say a word and you'd blabber like an idiot. You'd confess everything you'd ever done wrong in your entire life. <laughs> I mean, it was all out of the table. You couldn't help it was just like Brother Swanson's office. I mean, you, you, you just, it all comes out. It just is right there, okay? And I remember sitting in that chair, regretting acting rashly. Now, here's my, I won't go any further than that, but uh, it kind of goes blank there, but that's when Dad got involved. Okay, but anyway, so, but the point is simply this. That's what we do. We're on spiritual pinball machines. We just kind of, whatever happens, happens. Now, don't get me wrong. As I mentioned a moment ago, sometimes God interrupts what you think your schedule is going to be. But when those are ministry moments, great, grab them. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that you're not purposeful. You and I are not purposeful. Now, I'm giving this illustration to conclude with this illustration. Now, please understand, this is kind of, I'm just going to have to give it to you as is. Back a few months ago, in the spring of the year, I began to pray, God, show me some blind spots because I've got I to move to another level. I've got to. There's too much at stake. I don't have enough years left. You've got to get me to another level. The Lord began to very clearly show me that this phone was way too much of a default, particularly with news. I'm a political news junkie. I just love political news. Don't ask me why. I do. I just do. I could just read it, listen to it. And sometimes I could literally spend an hour and a half watching video clips and of news and watching, and it was like the Spirit of God says, that default is hindering you. Now, I haven't lived it perfectly, but it's been a huge change. I made a decision that when I had an urge to look at the news, that I would pick up a book and I would read it. Now, I'm just telling you this is not to pat me on the back. These are the books I read this, this summer instead of picking up my phone. Now, the point is, friends, God has used these books to do something in my heart. It's like preaching in print. They have ministered to me. Now, if I didn't have these books up here, I would have hours I'd have spent looking at news feeds. Now, I realize you're students, you're not going to be able to read this many books. I understand that. But I'm asking you, what's your default? And I'm simply saying, when you're young, you ought to get in a better habit than I got into. When I was your age, my default was reading. Because there was no internet. And I have 100 biographies. You can come downstairs. I'll show them to you. Uh, I've read most of them in my early years. When I was just out of, out of college into, into ministry, I just would read biographies vociferously. And uh, I don't know when it happened, but slowly but surely, as life got busy and uh, the internet came around, I had different defaults. Now, all I'm simply saying, friends, for everyone of you in the room, in fact, anybody, it was last summer, Matthew Weber said something to me that was deeply convicting to me. He said, Brother Van Gelderen, what good books have you read recently? And I thought to myself, I haven't. But honestly, just a few years back, I always tried to be reading something that was spiritually challenging to me. 
back a few years, something, sanctification is my other reading hobby, besides biographies, my other reading hobby, and, and I have read, uh, you know, especially in the 2000s, but, uh, you know, I would say last, oh, I don't know, a few years, I don't know what, I can't even guess how many years it was, I think it's single digits, where I got more into a default of, um, not bad things, not sinful things, but they weren't the best. And all I'm simply saying, gang, for every one of you in this room, you have to consider, do you want, it's like this, it was, it, I, was, I was hitting a ceiling. And I think for many of us, even though we're very controlled about the internet around here, this phone causes you to hit a ceiling in your Christian life. It's your default. And you waste time on it that could be used. God has something else for you to grow spiritually. And I will tell you, I've tried over the years. Now, of course, I'm back to it. And, of course, these past few years I haven't done it. So I mentioned to always be reading something that was spiritually speaking to me. A sanctification book. Or a book that I knew would spiritually challenge me. And uh, I just want every young person in this room, I don't want you to get introspective about it, but I do want you to ask this. Ask this. Am I acting rashly or am I being purposeful? See, the thing is about college, we help you be purposeful. You know what it's called? Assignment sheets. And I realize you have very little discretionary time. I get that. I realize that you don't have a lot of me time. And I'm not saying, obviously, I hope you go out and enjoy sports. There are certain things I enjoy, and I certainly believe God wants me to. But my point is, what's the default? Might be good for every one of you to have a, a book that you have near your bed that's just your default. Okay, when you're just, okay, I'm going I'm to keep reading that. I'm not talking about hurting your studies. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about redeeming the time and not acting rashly, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The idea is find out what God wants you to do and do it. Have you ever finished a day and think, you know, I think I wasted a lot of this day. God says, don't act rashly. Don't do that. But but, but um, understand what the will is and the inference is clearly, as I mentioned, do it. Now, why is that important? Because when it does, everything I've just preached has everything to do with the illuminator. He's the one that makes us sensitive to sin. He's the one that cleanses us and, and, and gives us the sense of forgiveness. Uh, he's the one who, who walks with us and he's the one that gives us opportunities and say, you, you grab that opportunity. He's the one that does that. He's the one, friends, that, uh, that shows us what the will of God is. He's the one. So the point I'm simply making, I could preach a message on, uh, on Ephesians 5.18. You could all walk out of here, oh, yeah, I, gotta, I, I understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But the truth is, you might intellectually understand it, but until the Spirit of God comes along and He teaches you, you really won't get it. And He's the one that teaches you and helps you understand it, teaches you to grow deeper, but it all is because you've created a climate around here where you're not grieving the teacher. So if I could call this message anything, I would say, are you grieving the teacher? Because he's the one you need to grow spiritually. And he's the one you need. And God has been stirring my own heart. And like I said, I've done it perfectly, but it's been a huge improvement. Unbelievable. And I thank the Lord for it. And I know for all of us, there's something that God is saying to you that's, that's not necessarily wrong. Now, in some cases it might be, but it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not the best. The young person, what is it that God's talking to you about? Because let's be sensitive to his spirit. We're not talking again about getting looking at the wrong thing, but look into the Spirit to guide us and direct us so that literally we can be people who begin to understand what it means to walk with God, how to be filled with the Spirit. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed?